Well, good evening. Turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 4. We're actually going to finish up the last two chapters here of Lamentations tonight. Um, and then next week and following, Dan and I are going to be um, selecting some psalms that we're going to be going through and doing that. So we'll spend some time in the psalms. Um, but Lamentations chapter 4. Yes. Yeah, I have it right here. No, you're fine. <laughs> so while you're turning there, um, if you guys were here on Sunday, Dan was sharing a little bit, and some of you that are on the prayer chain and have known, we've been praying for Carrie uh, Palmer, um, had some pretty heavy-duty stuff going on health-wise where she was um, pretty much on the edge of, of dying. Um, and uh, we got news, I think yesterday or today, this morning, um, from Frank, her husband, um, and I'll just read what he wrote here. It says, so the neurologist read the MRI and said that she, Carrie, does not have any brain damage, no anoxic brain injury either. They're looking at removing the ventilator tomorrow or the next day and hope that she can breathe without it. The neurologist expects a full recovery. Um, after some pretty intense rehab, uh, the physical therapy people got her sitting up with her feet hanging off of the bed. She could swing her legs and lift her head. Saturday, the thought of removing life support had a completely different meaning. Um, and then he said, it's amazing watching God perform a miracle right in front of your eyes. So, yeah, the Lord's awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray that you would continue to do a miraculous hearing and healing in Carrie's uh, body, Lord. We thank you that though it seemed as if there were no hope, our hope is in you, uh, the God of hope, uh, the creator of the universe, the great and wonderful physician, Lord. And we thank you for your work in her body, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would be with her, that this would be a testimony We've seen a miracle of healing in her life before, <laughs> and here's another one, Lord, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who still works today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for tonight. Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to us individually, Lord, that uh, we are looking at heavy things tonight as we have been through Jeremiah and Lamentations Lord, that we would learn from the things that are written, that we would be admonished by them. We would be encouraged, Lord. We would be warned by what we're reading. Lord, in that by your spirit, you would speak to our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, Lamentations 4. Uh, so this is the last of the actual acrostic chapters in Lamentations. Um, meaning each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and again, if you remember uh, two weeks ago, um, I shared with you that one of the reasons why these, uh, uh, this poetry was written in that, such a fashion was to help the people to remember, to memorize these things. Um, and so for the Jewish people, uh, this is something for them to remember uh, and for us as well, to remember the devastating effects of sin and, and unrepentance uh, towards the Lord. Let's look at verse 1. It says, How the gold 
has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. That word scattered means poured out. It's like a cup being dumped over. Uh, Poured out. This is speaking of all the beautiful and precious things. The most precious and valuable things physically. The gold. Remember the temple is plated with fine gold. Lots of the treasures and and instruments and and all of the things in the temple were covered in gold. Beautifully handcrafted. Um, And the temple itself. Uh, had gold on it. And the beautiful stones of the sanctuary that Solomon and the workers spent so many years to put together, torn down, scattered. The gold is dim, everything fine. The precious and valuable things are worthless, tarnished, and destroyed. Uh, you know, our times, where the time we live in now, is characterized by a trust in this world's valuables and riches. Uh, I hear talks, he adds all the time, you know, how to invest in cryptocurrency, how to make a quick buck, how to do all these things. Even in groups of people that maybe aren't so invested in kind of the modern economy, there's this idea of self-reliance, this idea of, of storing up for the rainy day, this idea of going and, and, and uh, you know, prepping for bad things to come. And, and an emphasis on, on storing up all of these things. It's a trust in this world's valuables rather than a, a trust in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that you shouldn't be prepared. The scriptures talk about being prepared for hard times. But when your trust is in those things, it's torn down. It's going to be uh, fail at some point because this world and everything in it is going to be burned up with fire. That's what we're told. Our times are characterized by this trust, but they're not going to last. Anything stored up in this life in place of heavenly treasure uh, actually becomes a judgment against us and against the people. James 5, 1 through 3, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. James is talking about those who have their trust in these things. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten, the things that they work so hard to store up. Your gold and silver are corroded, and catch this, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Money, wealth, treasure, these things, they're given by the Lord to us to be used for his glory, not just stored up and treasured. It's a measure of our faith by how we use what God has given us. And we have a responsibility for that. And when we have a trust and put emphasis on these things, when judgment comes, it's a testimony against us. And it was a tense testimony against the Jews. The things that they thought were so precious and valuable, the gold is dim. It's no longer fine gold. The sanctuary, the temple that they had put such an emphasis upon, yet they abused, remember, through their false idol worship, the things that they had put such an emphasis on destroyed, scattered, poured out, worthless. Judgment is coming on this world that we live in now in in these days. We're told that in the book of Revelation, book of Daniel, the prophecies in the Old Testament and New Testament that judgment is coming. 
and those who place their faith in physical earthly things will be judged for that rather than placing their faith in Christ. We need to have our perspective right, storing up heavenly treasure rather than trusting in this life. Verse 2, the precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Even, even the, the people are devalued here. Even mankind, they're devalued. It says they should be valuable as fine gold or held up to weight against literally fine gold. They're worthless, just like clay pots. The work of the hands of the potter, cast down. Verse 3, even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. Everyone is judged here. Everyone because of the unrepentance of Israel, of Judah, of Jerusalem. We've seen that as we've looked through Jeremiah, that there was chance after chance after chance for repentance. There was a call for repentance to the king, to the nobles, to the priests, to the prophets, to the common people. There was a call for repentance and people did not hear. Remember, we have no account of anyone listening in the time of Jeremiah. We have a few maybe that helped him out at those times, but we don't actually see any form or any sign of repentance for the things that were taking place in Jeremiah's time. And we see the effects on everyone here in Lamentations, even down to the young. The treatment of people in times of incredible suffering, it shows where and kind of points, you know, sheds light on is the word I'm looking for, sheds light on the condition of the people. Suffering, it can cause a person to either turn to the Lord if there's repentance or turn to horrific things. And that's what we see here. It says the jackals, they were known as pack animals who were scavengers. They would go and rip up uh, the you know uh, roadkill, carrion. They would, uh, were known as ferocious hunters. And, and cruel animals, and yet even they, it says, care for their young, present their breasts to nurse their young. But in this time of suffering, says the daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. Turn with me to Job. Keep your fingers here. Look at Job 39. Just as a, a side note here as we're looking at this, God's word is confirmed in its accuracy of so many things. And this is actually one, one perspective of this. Verse 13, Job 39, says, The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but, her wings and pinions, uh, but are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks? For he, she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust, she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain, but without concern. She's careless. 
because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. Turn back to Lamentations. Uh, This is a, a little scientific journal on ostriches. It says, female ostriches will lay eggs in a dirt nest that has been prepared by the male ostrich. Multiple females will use the same nest, but typically the last female to lay eggs is the dominant one, and she will roll and kick many or all of the previous laid eggs out of the nest. This has the effect of ensuring that only the dominant female's genes will be passed down to the next generation. The female and male will periodically take turns incubating the primary eggs with no attention paid to the surrounding eggs. Among the eggs that are incubated, many are lost or broken in the dirt nest. So even the ones that are being cared for are broken up. Even after hatching, it's the male ostrich that will take care of the young, of which only 15% typically will survive to reproductive age, with the others becoming prey to a number of predators. Uh, Even if only... uh, 15% of offspring reach maturity. Dominant uh, ostriches may have many offspring that survive to the next generation, but there's all these other ones that they have no offspring, and they just end up dying off. And that's the picture there. The Bible, confirmed by science, uses this illustration to show the ostrich as this illustration of the cruelty, the carelessness. That even these jackals, the dogs, the unclean animals were viewed as being more kindly to their children at this time than how the children were being treated in this time. And you guys, it's the effects of sin, again, and unrepentance. Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, they had the chance to repent. And they had the warnings that these things would begin to take place. There was the chance to repent before Babylon came against them. There's the chance to repent after Babylon had come against them and had ransacked the city. There's a chance to repent after Babylon began to siege the city and there was famine in the land. There were chances, but there was no turning. They did not turn. And so there was famine, there was hunger, there was starvation, and the suffering just increased more and more. And the people suffered. Verse 4, the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Sin is incredibly selfish. This is the effects of sin. When there is unrepentance in our lives, in anyone's life, it's not just the person who suffers the consequences of sin. And oftentimes, it's the innocent, it's the children. It's the innocent party in that whole situation that suffers. And we see that today. Who's suffering the sin, the consequences of the sin of sexual fornication and adultery? Children, abortion, broken marriages, divorce, all of these things. The children suffer, the innocent suffer. Because of sin. We see that in our day and age. The emphasis in this whole chapter, this whole book really, is on the effects of sin. Is on what happens when a people do not repent and do not turn back to the Lord. And we see that. Valuable things struck down, made worthless. Human life not valued any longer. Things that are precious, 
are no longer precious. The young, the innocent, are abandoned and neglected. No one feeds them. Everyone is all at the same level of suffering. Verse 5, it says, Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the street. The wealthy, they're brought down. Not even them are exempt from this. Those who are brought up in scarlet, speaking again of their wealth, they embrace ash heaps. The height of prosperity is brought low by sin. We have a responsibility to walk with the Lord in humility and repentance and righteousness. It's our, it's our duty as Christians, as we've been uh, created new creatures in Christ, to walk with him in faithfulness. And when we don't, people suffer. People suffer around us. The world around us is suffering because the church has been silent about so many things. Dan shared with our family just this week a video is a, a teaching by Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Um, and talking about, there's a book many years ago, we actually, I think we handed it out here at the church called Already Gone. Um, and it was about this epidemic of, of uh, children who had grown up in churches and it was based off of a survey and research done emphasizing only children who had come out of conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. And uh, how, I forget the exact number, I think it was like 72% of children walk away from the faith by the time they're age 20. But the emphasis in that book was actually that the beginnings of that happen down when they're in middle school and even younger, and uh, they surveyed this group of a thousand uh, young adults, grown up in Christian homes, went to Christian conservative churches where the Bible was taught, and yet had walked away from the Lord. And one of the top reasons they gave for walking away, they said, was hypocrisy in the church. But it's not, it wasn't hypocrisy in saying one thing and doing another when it comes to sin. That's part of it. There was some of that as well. But the hypocrisy that they saw was saying that the leaders and the people who should in the church say they believe the scriptures, they believe it's God's word, they put an emphasis on it, and yet they belittle the book of Genesis, say, oh no, God didn't create the earth in six days, six literal days. They belittle the book of Revelation. It's not going to be literally fulfilled. They belittle the supernatural things in the scriptures. And that was one of the major reasons why most of those young people had walked away from the Lord. Was There was this, in word, emphasis on God's scriptures and on the word. But in practice, they didn't believe it. They had torn down and, and, and chipped away at the foundations of God's word. And chipping away at the foundations meant the whole wall was crumbling. And that's what we have in our, in our nation. You guys, the word of God, uh, we've talked about it a few times. The word of God it, within the church has been chipped away at for a century or more. Higher criticism which said, well, we really can't trust everything that's in the scriptures. We need to really 
go through it and see, okay, well, maybe there are things we need to toss out as not being true. Okay, we can take this as historical fact. We can take this as something that can be trusted, but it, there's this supernatural part, so we can't really trust it. Let's push it aside. That's been going on since the 1800s, and, and it was fought against by a group that wrote the fundamentals, that's where the Bible-thumping fundamentalist kind of term came from. But it was a group of men and women who stood up and said, no, we need to go back to the fundamentals of the Word of God. Um, uh, R.A. Torrey, uh, uh, C.T. Studd, uh, some of these others that you may or may not have heard of, they were part of that. However, a majority of the mainline denominations at that time, who in times past had stood upon the Word of God, began to listen to these voices that were saying, no, well, let's, we, the, it's God's inspired word, but not all of it is inspired in every word. And so it's taking apart the scriptures. And in taking apart the scriptures, then there was just this backsliding or this downfall of these denominations. And then it, it, it slowly enters in all of these other groups to where churches and groups that should be and would have historically been called fundamentalist, Bible-believing, uh, sound doctrine churches are taking apart the Word of God. And it's not just doctrine that suffers. It's then sin enters in. As you take out the foundations for God's Word, where do you have to stand upon to say that sin is wrong? You say you criticize Genesis and you say God didn't create the earth in six literal days and rested on the seventh, then how can you trust the, the scriptures for what it says about sin and Satan in the garden and the fall of man? You have no foundation for that. Where, where's your foundation to stand upon to say that marriage is between one man and one woman? If you don't take the book of Genesis literally, you have no foundation for it. You have no foundation going all the way up to what Jesus did on the cross. If you take those things away literally. If you take away a literal judgment of the earth coming. Things that the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. All of these books talk about Daniel. The, the literal judgment of the earth. Then God becomes a weak God that, who doesn't judge in righteousness. He just says, here's sin. I've sent my son to die on the cross and that's that. But that's not the end of the story. We see God is a righteous judge who will and does judge sin. Jesus' death on the cross paves the way for us to have access to heaven. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus as righteous judge king coming back and judging sin. And punishing those who would not repent. And we see this foreshadowing in what happened with Israel. And, and Jerusalem here in Lamentations. Look at verse 6. It says, The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. That last verse actually, it, it, it means uh, not a hand to help, but it actually means with no hand twisting in against her. So basically what the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah here, he's saying is that Sodom was overthrown with no one working against it, just overthrown in a moment. And the 
punishment on Jerusalem was so much more. Remember Sodom, they, within Sodom, they had become, uh, they had an abundance. Remember where they lived, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, uh, Abram's uh, nephew, uh, chose to live in that area because of how fertile, how, how abundant that area was. Uh, and uh, so they had this overabundance of things to where that overabundance produced a, a, an a abundance of time to explore the depths of sin. And we saw that with Sodom uh, and, and the sexual sin and all of these things that take place. You guys know the story in Genesis and all of that. Their judgment, though, it wasn't a prolonged judgment. It was the angels came, they warned Lot. Lot had that one night with the angels where they, he warned his family and warned the men outside and warned them, judgment's coming, and then they were out of there and judgment came, just like that. But with Jerusalem, it was a long, prolonged judgment. You guys, we even have this shown in the New Testament. Um, look at Matthew chapter 10. Turn over there. Sodom and Gomorrah is used as a, uh, a kind of a standard for God's judgment. Remember in, in Jesus' day as he was, had his disciples and he'd send them out two by two to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, to preach repentance. Matthew 10 verse 15, um, he, he told them to go into all the cities and it says, whatever city or town you enter, this is verse 11, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jump over to chapter 11 and look at verse 23. So after the disciples had gone out, they came back and they gave reports of, of those cities and those people that listened and repented and heard the, the message that they were sharing. And Jesus, uh, verse 20, it says, then, when he, uh, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. There was no warning for Sodom, but here we see warning for them and repentance and miracles done even verse 22 but i say to you it will be more tolerable for tyre and sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you capernaum jesus's hometown where he did all of his ministry in who are exalted to heaven because of the miracles and the things that they saw jesus do there will be brought down to hades for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I find it interesting. You know, we don't know. It, it seems by these verses and maybe by other verses that there may be some decree, degrees of, of punishment that we see in hell. I mean, hell... Ultimately, it's eternal separation from the Lord. 
that where the fire is not quenched, the worm doesn't die, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, all of these things take place. And yet there's a, a, a more tolerable judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than there is for these cities in the New Testament times and Jesus' times that saw his ministry and yet would not repent, saw the things that he had done. Because if there was that much of a responsibility on them, how much more for us? We have the entire testimony of scriptures. There is a greater amount of, uh, uh, I think it was even in that same video, Ken Ham was talking about the amount of Christian resources that we have. Uh, and this was years ago when he was doing this talk. But more resources, more Bibles, more translations, more Christian videos on YouTube, more uh, books and series and self-help things and all of these Christian things that should be helping us in our Christian life and helping us touching the world around us. We have a, a wealth of treasure and resources which means there's a wealth of responsibility on us. And yet how much are we touching the world around us? How much are we doing? How, how much light is being shown by the church? Uh, I'm not criticizing us necessarily specifically here, but, but uh, what are we doing with what we've been given? Are we being responsible with it? How much more so do we have a responsibility because of what we have? Our nation founded upon Judeo-Christian values. We had the Ten Commandments in courthouses, in schools, in city halls, all of these things. We had the scriptures that were, were being uh, taught even in elementary schools and other uh, universities and all of these things. And a wealth of, of uh, the influence of the word of God. And yet there is a resistance against it and a, and a tearing it down. And I believe our nation, and in and, and all effects, Western society, is being judged by the Lord. The removal of his protection, of, his, uh, uh, of all of the blessings that come from a nation that is following the Lord. All of those things being removed, like we see in, in Romans. Uh, denying God as the creator and being given over. In judgment, and that's what we see all around us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Turn over there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, by Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had sat by himself, uh, or when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Here's this statement. God spoke by prophets in the, la in, in the earlier days, but now in these last days is spoken by Jesus. 
Jesus has spoken, the works that he's done. And here's this beautiful, wonderful, powerful, authoritative statement on who he is. He's God's son. He was appointed heir of all things. He made the worlds. He's the brightness of God's glory, the express image, the exact image and representation of the father, of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He he purged our sins who've placed our faith in him and he's completed his work sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high becoming much better than angels that's the responsibility we have that's the message that we hear turn over to chapter 2 verse 1 it says therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away for if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, speaking of the law that was given to Moses on the mountains, on the mountain, um, and and given to the, the people. Every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. We have to be so careful. You guys, we need to take heed to God's word. We need to believe it with our whole hearts. We need to take him at his word, the literal word of God that he's given us from Genesis to Revelation. Jump over to chapter 3 in Hebrews, look at verse 12. Here's this other exhortation. Hebrews is a great book because he's going on and talking about Jesus being better, but he gives these warnings throughout because of who Jesus is and what he's done. It says, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It says, don't, don't let there be this evil heart of unbelief, of not believing what the word of God says. And it's departing from him. It says, but, here's, here's the exhortation, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. We have a responsibility to one another to encourage each other. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For if we become partakers of Christ, for we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We have a responsibility to not have our hearts hardened. How does it start? By unbelief. How did it start in the book of Romans? Is not being thankful. Not seeing God as being the creator of the universe. Not rightly respecting him for who he is and believing him at his word for what he's done. And when there's no respect for him as creator, you turn worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. You reject truth and embrace the lie instead. And and you're given over and your heart becomes hard. And there's this unbelief and departing. And that's what we see with Israel. Go back to Lamentations. Sorry, I'm having you jump all over the place here. But this is the effect, you guys. And we, as believers, as Christians, we have a responsibility to uphold the word of truth and it's not just a private thing we uphold the word of truth in our families in our homes in our workplace in our community to stand by what god's word says 
And that's what we see. We see all these groups highlighted in Lamentations as suffering. All of these groups had the ability as, as uh, individuals with free will and as having been given the word of and the message of repentance by Jeremiah and the other prophets, they all had the opportunity to turn and to stand up and say, we need to repent, let's repent to the Lord, to have that light of repentance and to share it, and yet no one did. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, he says, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Verse 7, her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones as it has become as dry as wood. Now there's some difference of opinion in the, in the Bible scholars here about this word on Nazarites. It could be a Nazarite as we know it, one who is dedicated in service to the Lord, uh, not supposed to touch uh, the fruit of the vine, grape, or wine, or these things, let their hair grow long, be dedicated to the Lord, not touch dead things, all of these things separated to Him. Um, and, and if that's what this is speaking of, then uh, we see even they, the, the kind of the standard of being separated unto the Lord, even they are touched by the suffering of judgment. Even they are brought down from this, uh, this status that they had of being holy and separated and apart. The other way this word could be translated is noble or ruler. And if that's the case, it's, it's the same thing. Here's the human standard of someone who's noble, the aristocracy, the, the one who's lifted up and has all, done all the right things and is there uh, with, with uh, you know, wealth and, and abundance and all of these things and beauty and, and of appearance, brighter than snow, whiter than milk, more ruddy in body than rubies and like sapphire in their appearance, brought down low. Their appearance is like blacker than soot unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It's become as dry as wood. No one is exempt when there's unrepentance. Sin affects everyone. Verse 9, Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The depths of sin shown for their reality. What takes place. We need to not toy with it. We need to understand sin produces death. That's what the Old Testament is about. Sin produces produces death that's why there were the sacrifices that took place this understanding that the jews were to have that when we sin something dies something must die without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin we see that in lamentations that is the emphasis that we see here is that sin produces death And that's what we see in our nation. We can look out and we can rail against all these things that are taking place in our culture, in our society. And we can be like the social justice churches 
who stand up and say, we need to feed the poor, we need to protect the young, we need to do all of these other things, we need to, you know, uh, stand up for justice and, and all of these other things and try to work on the physical and the emotional and the mental things, but pay no heed to the spiritual condition. The message of the church is the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is repent and turn to the Lord. That's the gospel. Repentance, it, it, it should in our minds have the same meaning and same weight as faith in God. Because repentance says, I view sin the same way God does. I believe God that sin produces death. And I believe, God, that without repentance, there is no remission of sin. Without trust in Christ, there's no remission of sin. Without those things. And that, that needs to be the message of the church. And sadly, the church has said, no, we need to emphasize these other things. And we see the church opening up and putting you know, pride flags out or standing up for groups like Black Lives Matter, and, and all of these other things that are separate from the gospel of God, from the gospel that we see. There has to be a return and an emphasis upon the spiritual condition of people. And the spiritual condition is only remedied when there's a turn to Christ, a turn to Jesus. Healing the outside, dealing with all of those things, it does nothing. It's whitewashed tombs, like Jesus said of the Pharisees. It's, it's, it's beautiful on the outside, but filled with dead men's bones. And that's what the church has been working at. That's what the emphasis has been lately in, in uh, a lot of these churches that we see. And, and what the world is pushing the church to do. When instead the church should be preaching the gospel unrepentantly, the gospel unrepentantly. They should repent for sins, but not turn away from the gospel. That's what we should be doing. There are, of course, the, the beautiful and wonderful things that we do, like standing up for uh, babies who are being aborted in their mother's wombs, uh, voting uh, against wicked and evil laws and, and things that should not be stood for in our nation. There's the salt and light we're called to, but it should never take the place of the gospel. Because that is how people's lives are transformed and changed. Is by the power of God through the sharing of the gospel and their hearts being turned by the Holy Spirit to him. And when the church loses that, there's no salt. There's no light. It may appear that for a time, but it's really ineffective. There's no fruit. Verse 11, the Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion and it has devoured its foundations. Remember, this was not just some outside thing. This was the Lord judging them because of their sin. And lest we forget, there were 40 years of Jeremiah preaching his message of repentance before these things took place. But even before that, Moses prophesied that if they would not turn from their sins and go after those other gods, if they, if they went after them, that these exact same things, the Lord warned them, Moses warned them would take place in Deuteronomy. They had plenty of warnings. And the Lord says, it's time. You're not repenting. It's time. He 
fulfilled his fury and poured out his fierce anger. Verse 12, the kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. They wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. They cried out to them, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell here. Jerusalem was not taken down from the outside. Jerusalem was taken down from the inside. We see the responsibility of the people. We've seen the mothers. We've seen the children. We've seen the, all of the people affected by these things. The Nazarites, the nobles. We see the rulers. But here we see who's held accountable in this. Says Jerusalem was taken down because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. So often, and we've even received it here, there's criticism against uh, pastors and, and Christian leaders and, and even just the normal Christian person who stand up and say things going on in the church are wrong. Embracing of uh, new age mysticism and practices like yoga or, or um, a belittling of God's word or embracing homosexuality or uh, an open door towards uh, spiritual craziness like in Bethel Church. Men and women with these ministries or even just standing up in their own churches and saying these things are wrong are criticized. But we are called and we do have a responsibility to hold leaders within the church accountable for what's going on. In fact, the scriptures say, let not everyone become a teacher. You're held to a higher standard. There is a higher standard for Bible teachers and those with authority within the church. And when they are partaking in sin, when they have iniquity, then the people again suffer. That's what we see. They shed blood in the midst of the people. It wasn't the shedding of blood for sacrifice for sin. They weren't mediating like they should. They weren't fulfilling their ministry. Instead, they were shedding innocent blood, the blood of the just. And they were defiled. Remember the priests, they wore their white linen garments and they were to be to have blood on their garments as they ministered and they did these sacrifices. And here's this stark contrast. Rather than showing them ministering the way they should and, and leading the people to the Lord in repentance for their sins, rather they were covered with the blood of the innocent people around them because they were leading them astray. That's what we see throughout Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, these uh, prophets who prophesying falsely in their midst. We as believers, as Christians, we need to take discernment very seriously. We need to, again, stick to God's word. And when there are those who depart from it, in love, we stand up and we say, that's wrong. This is what God's word says. And anything apart from it is heretical. It's not true. We should not go after these things. And we have a responsibility to one another to stand up and say, this is false. 
it's a responsibility to those who are hearing the false message, but also a responsibility to those who are preaching the false message. We need to be so very careful. There is a spirit of, of deception in our age like the scripture talks about. And, and it's crept in and it's not in the outside, it's within the church as well, a spirit of deception. And again, our, our protection, what we stand upon is God's word. To the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. That's what the scriptures say. We take everything to the word of God. If anything does not speak according to his word, there's no light. It may look like light. It may seem like it, but there is no light. And that's what we see the people suffering because they would not repent. And the ones who should be calling them, preaching the word of God, ministering to them, calling them to repentance, instead they were leading them astray and effect causing their downfall. Verse 16, the face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests nor show favor to the elders. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us, rather than watching for a Lord who could save them. They watched for a nation that could not save them. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Speaking of the king, remember what happened with Zedekiah. So we see Judah and Jerusalem just torn down, taken down. This is the sad finale of their unrepentance. Look, verse 21, it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. They were rejoicing over Judah and Jerusalem's destruction. Their neighbor, one, remember, Edom was descended from Esau, Jacob, Israel, the brothers. And uh, they were rejoicing for a time they had tried to stand with Zedekiah and wanted to rebel, though the Lord said not to, rebel against Babylon. And now after their destruction, they were just ready to take advantage The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. Here's this little glimmer of hope. And then he turns around and says, He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. The Lord is a righteous father. And a father has the right and responsibility to discipline his children. And that's what the Lord was doing with Judah and Jerusalem. But Edom had no right to go in and to go after Judah and Jerusalem. And the Lord is a righteous and loving father over his children, saw and would punish Edom. And ultimately we see would punish Babylon. We see that there was judgment on Babylon for lifting themselves up in pride, even though it was the Lord 
because the Lord had established them and lifted up Nebuchadnezzar and gave him the place that he had in the world, and yet there was pride, and, and he would be brought low. And we see that, you know, the Jews have suffered throughout the centuries. Uh, we've seen it, uh, and we continue to see persecution of the Jews to this day. Some of it is in effect because of uh, their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I'm, they don't, uh, we as a church are not to call them Christ killers as the Catholic Church has done for so much and many others. Uh, we're not to criticize them or downplay them or to say they're cast off forever, we're told in the New Testament. Um, but there is punishment upon them. Jesus called out that there would be punishment on them for rejecting him. And what have we seen historically play out for them? You had persecution, the scattering of them by the Roman Empire, like Jesus prophesied, the destruction of Herod's temple. Uh, we, we have uh, the uh, persecution of them uh, once uh, Islam arose. We had the persecution of the Jews in the med medieval period as well. All the, the evil things that were spoken of them and they were driven out from place to place to place with no, no place to stay. Every time they would get settled in a place, all of a sudden persecution would arise up and they would be driven out. The pogroms in Russia and the, the Eastern European nations against the Jews. Uh, in more recent years, of course, we have the horrific things under the Third Reich in, in Germany. Uh, but it didn't end there. There's continued persecution of the Jews, and in, in fact, it's increasing more and more and more. And though there's a punishment and a judgment because of the rejection of Jesus the Messiah, the Lord still calls them his people. And the, they are still his people, and he has a plan for them. And we have a responsibility uh, with how we treat the Lord's people, how we treat the Jews. Uh, we have a responsibility to be light to them, to share the gospel with them, to in fact turn them in jealousy to the Lord. We have that responsibility. And the Lord will judge the nations and the people that turn against the Jews. That's what we see. It's the, the seven-year tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble, where the Lord deals with them, but at the same time we see the Lord protects them and the Lord judges the nations that turn against them. Satan hates the Jews. He hates them because they're God's chosen people. Um, and he has been working against them from the beginning. They didn't help themselves with their unrepentant hearts and the thing and the rejection of the Messiah and all of these things. But we see ultimately there is a plan to return them. We've seen that, the, the fulfillment of Ezekiel uh, 37. I think it's 37 um, or 38. It's 37. Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones where the Jewish people are brought back into the land. And it's the beginning of the prophecy where the Lord will pour out his spirit on them and will ultimately save them. The things that Paul writes about in the book of Romans, those things will take place. For the Jews of Jeremiah's time as he was writing, the Lord promised them that there's judgment coming. It didn't have to be as bad as it became. If they would have simply repented and listened and went into captivity, they, their 
city wouldn't have been destroyed, the kings wouldn't have been killed, they wouldn't have suffered the famine and the siege and all of these things. Their sin and their unrepentance made it much worse than it had to be. And yet, the Lord said, there's a remnant that I will preserve. And that remnant will come back after those 70 years and will come back to the land. 70 years of, of exile from Jerusalem, from Israel. And there will be a return, says. But for now, there's the punishment of their iniquity. Chapter 5 goes on. I'm almost out of time. Actually, I'm, I am out of time. But chapter 5 is a prayer. It's the only chapter in um, Lamentations that is not an acrostic. And I, I, I think if, as you look at it, you see uh, the emphasis here is on uh, just this simple prayer. If you think about it, writing down an acrostic poem, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of effort to make sure you're fitting in to all of these things in the alphabet and all of this there. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspiring what's written down, but chapter 5 is just kind of this outburst of prayer to the Lord and this, this crying out to Him. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. We pay for the water we drink, and our wood comes at a price. They pursue at our heels. We labor and have no rest. We have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. They, they were doing everything, and there was no help. All the blessings, all the abundance that they had, the land of milk and honey in, in the promised land. And now they were slaves. They were less than slaves. They were orphans. Uh, they were widows. They, they had to pay for their very water and the wood that would heat them. They're, they're pursued everywhere they go. They labor and have no rest. They have to give themselves as slaves uh, to have bread their very food, brought down low. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. If you catch this, there's a little bit of a, a, a missing of their actual true repentance and a recognition of their sin. They say their fathers sinned and they're bearing their iniquities, but really they sinned as well. There was no repentance in them. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. They ravished the women in Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung up by their hands, and elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstones. Boys staggered under loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate, and the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us. Here's the recognition. For we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate with foxes walking about on it. And here's a little glimmer of faith. You, O Lord, remain forever. You're thrown from generation to generation. They recognized the Lord was still on the throne. And he is. In the midst of all suffering and pain and trial and all of these things, the Lord remains on the throne. And we need to not forget that. But we also need to not be like the Jews there who they recognized that fact and yet they said, why do you forget us forever? The Lord promised them 70 years. 
And yet they looked at it and they said, why are you forgetting us forever and forsake us for so long a time? They say, turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. I think this is prophetic because we see that really it, it took these things, them going into captivity in Babylon, them going to the land of idolatry to be healed of their idolatry. It's going to take the things that take place in the book of Revelation, the horrific things on the earth, the persecution of the Jews, for them to finally ultimately recognize Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. There are some of those like Alan Shore and others who have come to faith in him, and there's the whole Jewish believer who has been restored to a faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And that's beautiful, and there's that remnant throughout all generations, I think, that have that turning to him and the work. But ultimately, there's going to be an even greater work that the Lord's going to do in the, in the end times that we're going to see. Verse 22, it says, Unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Because the lamentations, it's heavy. Jeremiah, it's heavy. What is, what is the ultimate emphasis for us? Sin has consequences. The Lord is gracious and gives us every opportunity to repent. We need to not toy with sin. We need to repent early and repent often. And when we do that, there may be consequences for our sin. By the grace of God, sometimes there are not. But if there are consequences of sin, they become much lighter when we walk in that repentance. When we buckle down and we, we become prideful, it becomes worse and worse and worse. And there's the expounding of the effects of sin on us. And that's what we saw with Jerusalem. They didn't have to suffer all those things. They didn't have to get to the point where their children were being boiled and eaten by their very own mothers. Didn't have to get there. But they would not heed. They would not repent. They would not listen. And it should be a, a firm warning to us that we walk with the Lord. We stick to Him. We remain in Him. If we sin, we repent. We don't have to remain in sin. We don't have to remain condemned. We can get up. And there's grace, compassion, forgiveness with the Lord. But if we're hard-hearted and remain rebellious, there's judgment coming. That's what we see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,